All right, so let's move on to, to the next talk. Uh, Randy, can you hear me now? All right, great. Uh, so now, case uh, management of hep C in prior uh, treatment failure. So most of the cases that we have in clinic we discuss, uh, if we're dealing with uh, DAA failure, we, we basically uh, uh, ask you guys to, to refer. So there, there are many things you have to consider now uh, why this patient failed, uh, does require more monitoring, does require more, more of a backup so we can have uh, hepatology involved and perhaps do the more, more precise staging if we miss cirrhosis. So some of the reasons that perhaps uh, led to, to, to that failure, but the few ones that I've seen from our practice, it's one of those intrinsic failures that would happen uh, regardless if you, you were treated in, in a tertiary center or really having pretty uh, similar outcomes from whenever we treat them in primary care. So, uh, but, but this is a nice opportunity perhaps just, just to convey the ideas of, of HCV resistance and how that impacts uh, treatment failure. So I'll try to convey some of that, those ideas in, in the next uh, 30 minutes or so. So the objectives then uh, to list treatment options for uh, uh, experienced patients and to describe the relevance of resistance-associated substitutions. So a few uh, uh, basic concepts uh, as a primer, uh, if you will. So hep C replicates uh, in, in lightning speed. It has a replication capacity speed-wise 10 times greater than HIV. And as it does replicate, it makes uh, many errors in, in the, the sequencing of uh, newly synthesized RNA, and, and that's why Dr. Kim, is, he mentioned that you have this swarm of viruses that are cousins to each other, but not exactly identical in the replication process because of those mutations. And when that happens, a uh, few things uh, 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 could, could evolve, so those substitutions might not have any effect on how the virus, or the new virus product, or it can actually basically produce that virus that can't replicate or produce a virus that will have reasonable uh, fitness or ability to uh, keep going in, with the offspring of making new virus after that substitution occurs. And the emergence of those uh, resistance virus most often uh, uh, would occur if they're exposed to a pressure uh, uh, from a drug, but they can also be present at baseline even on those that have never been exposed uh, to any drug. We have a pointer, I guess. Uh, Where do y'all go? Uh, I guess I have it in my pocket. There you go. All right. So uh, on top of that, for a subset of patients with chronic HCV infection, those uh, variants can exist prior to therapy. Uh, they can also uh, have a negative impact in the treatment response. And those variants usually are more important if they emerge after the AA treatment failure. So the ones that actually uh, um, uh, emerge after a, a uh, period of formal pressure, they tend to be more important than the ones that may be exist in the baseline before those pressures occur. So then if you look at all the approved regimens uh, or, or, or compounds uh, uh, for use uh, by the FDA in 2018 and all the three main classes, 
you can see that some of them have a low resistance barrier where you'd see a higher tendency of those resistance-associated substitutions to emerge within the protease inhibitor class. Same thing for the NS5A inhibitors and very low tendencies uh, for resistance-associated substitutions to emerge with the nucleotide class, especially with a sulfosbuvir view compared to the Zabuvir. So but what that really means, why we say resistance barrier can be low, can be high, can be even very high, um, and, and that's some variation among those classes. So fitness, as I mentioned, is the ability to replicate, and if it's exposed to a protease inhibitor, uh, even mutant virus will be able to replicate here, and sofosbuvir almost nothing. So sofosbuvir binds to the active side of the RNA polymerase, which is a very sensitive site. If the virus changes the conformation of the enzyme, it basically it's killing the replication ability at, at its core, at the heart of it, and that's why you, you barely see tendencies to emerge in resistance for that specific uh, um, um, medication because of the mechanism of action. Now, the other uh, um, um, targets that, that are part of the life cycle that doesn't have to do with chain elongation and synthesis of RNA itself, even if you have substitutions and changes in the enzyme conformation caused by those mutations, they can still replicate, and that's why you might see tendencies in lower resistance barriers. So the barrier is uh, the ability to have um, lower tendencies in creating mutations and, 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 and uh, decreasing viral fitness and in um, uh, a high resistance barrier will be a very low tendency in that regard. So then uh, uh, the, the other interesting concept when you look at resistance is the um, uh, inhibitory concentrations of these drugs as they uh, advance for the next generations within the same class, so, so the, the first generations of protease inhibitors here, semaprovir was the first one, uh, all the way moving to the next generations of the ones in the same class, you can see that the um, inhibitory concentrations decreases, so the lower is the concentration, the more, the, the more potent the drug is, and the greater the ability uh, of this uh, viral killing effect. So, so very low concentrations mean, uh, and usually translates into a higher uh, resistance barrier as well, even within a class that in general would have uh, a lower um, resistance barrier than you would see with the, the nucleotide class. And same thing applies to the NS5A inhibitors too, as you go to the next generations like Velpatosphere, Vibranosphere, um, then you see uh, much lower inhibitory concentrations, and now it's spending through all genotypes were for the, um, uh, the uh, older generation drugs, it would be more restricted in activity for, for few geno fewer genotypes with much higher inhibitory concentrations um, uh, in that case. So if you look then at the factors influencing uh, 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 the negative impact of resistance in treatment outcomes, so you have to think about the regimen and how the drugs are combined. Uh, patient factors, and the big one here is cirrhosis, and the fold change decrease in potency conferred by those specific grasses. And sequencing alone might dictate uh, the optimal treatment choice, but sometimes as a salvage regimen, you might actually still um, use a drug that you know that in vitro is resistant, 
but if it holds some activity, it might still be a part of a useful regimen, so you can salvage that patient and, and cure them after the first-line failure. So from, from all that, then you conclude that resistance is not futile, but can be overcome if we treat patients with longer durations, if we add ribavirin, or if we add a later generation agents. And the, uh, for the newer DAAs, uh, as I showed you before, uh, especially in this case and in the case of sofosbuvir, um, the resistance test in that baseline is usually not necessary. So question then, uh, in considering the regimens for DAA-naive patients, which of the following situations would require a resistance testing at baseline? If we're using the, the regimen that starts with Z, right? Uh, Elbus vigorous operavir in uh, interferon experienced patients with genotype 1B HCV. GP option in patients with genotype 3 HCV. Soft lead if patients have genotype 4. Soft lead in experienced patients with genotype 1, or soft veil in genotype 3 cirrhosis. Please go ahead and vote. I'll give you some, uh, some hints. So, so look at, so I mentioned the Branosvir as a um, pretty high resistance barrier option. And here you might have, in two options here, you might have uh, a genotype 3 that might be harder to treat. Another option here as well. All right, so let's see the spread. Yes, actually, uh, a lot of you actually got, got the right answer. So you would get a resistance test at baseline if you're thinking about treating a genotype 3 that has cirrhosis. So now you have two factors that might impact, that have a negative impact in the treatment response. So you would need a resistance test at baseline, even if they are naive to DAAs. All the other options, so uh, in here, we're still dealing with genotype 3, but you're using Pibranos here, so you overcome the need of a resistance test at baseline. You would need resistance test here if you're treating genotype 1A, because you have a lower activity of the PI towards genotype 1A than 1B, and that would impact responses, and I think I have that shown in the next slide. Yeah, so the impact of baseline and S5A uh, rests uh, for the Elbus vigorous operavir regimen for initial treatment. So if you see that baseline, if you see that mutation, it increases five-fold, there's a five-fold shift in the inhibitory concentrations of Elbusvir uh, against genotype 1A, and only two out of nine patients actually responded to therapy. And that's the very reason why, if you're thinking about using this regimen for genotype 1A in the presence of the mutation, you have to use it for longer duration and add ribavirin. In a similar situation now with uh, soft veil in genotype 3 uh, infection, you can see the efficacy rates in cirrhosis in naive patients to DAA was, it was somewhat suboptimal, 93% compared to the overall efficacy in in non-cirrhotics, and the treatment responses were actually lower in 88% if they had Y938 substitution. I'm not sure if it projects well in the back, but those are the, so, so the efficacy without the resistance mutation at baseline, 97%, 
versus 88% if you did have that resistance at baseline. So then, uh, uh, this slide has been shown before. So this is Y93H here. It's a bad player. So if you have the presence of that in genotype 1A, for example, it, have, it incurring several fold uh, changes in the, the concentrations that would be necessary uh, to inhibit replication for Lidiposphere, Ombidosphere. So you go all the way across the board for all uh, members of the uh, NS5A inhibitor class. And including Velpatasvir, so it's a bad player even for that next generation compound, but not as much for Pibranosvir and some of the other um, options that, that were still under study and, and didn't go through uh, full development uh, into the market. So then, uh, as a summary, so if you think of regimen-specific recommendations for use of an S5A resistance testing in, in clinical practice. If you think of the option that uh, the brand name starts with Z, it's genotype 1A, you need a resistance test, but an alternative, you could consider a different regimen. For soft lead, genotype 1A treatment experienced ones, even with or without cirrhosis, then you might actually have to check for resistance to, to ledipasphere or either that or consider another regimen for soft valve, genotype 3, if that mutation is present, that impact the decision-making in either adding ribavirin or jumping to the triplet option where you'd use soft valve vox, the voxilaprovir, to overcome that resistance to the NS5A inhibitor class. And similarly, for the view, so fosbuvir, a uh, similar situation with the same mutation that would impact responses and the way you would uh, uh, prescribe the treatment. You still hear me uh, well in the back? Okay. All right, next question then. Uh, how would you treat uh, a patient with uh, soft ledipasphere experience and documented NS5A resistance? So now you have big guns, you have longer durations, many of these options you would add ribavirin. Um, so you have soft valve ribavirin for six months. You have soft and prod, so this is, uh, not, now you have almost like a, a quad option. This is a nucleotide protease inhibitor, ombirosvir is an S5A inhibitor, another nucleotide plus ribavirin for 12 weeks. Or you can do GP for a longer duration, or you can do soft Velvox, one P once a day triplet for 12 weeks, or you can do that plus ribavirin for 12 weeks. So this is someone that failed H. It comes back to you, and you're sorting out what to do. How many of you have treated DAA failures at all? All right, so um, we're looking for uh, perhaps uh, more convenient regimens, and we're looking for answers like this and like that. Um, and as you can see from, from the data, uh, if we're using an next generation an S5A inhibitor, uh, that can overcome baseline resistance caused by Lidiposvir exposure, or if you add in the protease inhibitor to perhaps a, an S5A inhibitor that would be 
more susceptible, more look-alike to Ledipusvir as Vilperasvir, and you will have a fold change that would decrease the efficacy of Vilperasvir, then um, that could be a reasonable option. Uh, there is no, perhaps, wrong option here, since you're doing the right things to overcome resistance, but actually those two options have strong data in support of their use for uh, soft lead failures. So this is a, a Magellan study, the name of the, the, the Portuguese explorer that there was the breakthrough in crossing South America and finding the Philippines and the Pacific Ocean in the 1500s. So as kind of the same breakthrough, you can see that using GP for patients who uh, failed PI only and S5A only or a combination of both, you're doing 12 versus 16 weeks, 16 weeks did better. Uh, but reasonable responses, except when you have resistance to two classes, but if it's only an S5A alone, as you see failure patterns after using uh, uh, soft lead, it's pretty good responses. In a similar uh, uh, situation here, as you can see that the key baseline mutations were only present in patients with prior failure to both PI and S5A inhibitors. And again, uh, it's still uh, good uh, responses with uh, 16 weeks. Uh, of course, uh, uh, 12 weeks, uh, even with an S5A um, uh, alone as the mutation present was, was suboptimal. So that's the, uh, uh, the rationale for, for the duration. And it's, it's a reasonable chance that you can cure them. For soft Velvox, uh, cirrhosis had some impact uh, in the, in the uh, number of relapses that you see in patients who were treated uh, with an S5 inhibitors and, and failed to that regimen, and they were cirrhotic, so not as much efficacy as if they're not cirrhotic, but it's still a pretty reasonable option as shown by the, the, the Polaris-1 trial. And here you can see that 83% uh, of these patients, they had baseline resses. Uh, and you can see uh, some of them actually had both uh, resistant mutations to the protease inhibitor portion of the regimen and an S5A, and you still had uh, pretty good chances of cure. So, so perhaps this would be a better option if you have uh, uh, mutations to, to two classes instead of just the NS5A class. And that's the reason why uh, this is the recommended uh, uh, regimen, perhaps due to convenience of one P once a day and a shorter duration compared to the other one. If you're dealing with an S5A inhibitor uh, resistance only, but definitely that would be a preferred option here for the triplet if you have a resistance to two classes. All right, last case, uh, the 55-year-old woman uh, with uh, genotype 3 HCV who failed this time soft view. She is HIV positive, and she's on Elvitegravir, which is a integrase inhibitor boosted with COBE. She's on entricitabine and tenofovir. Other meds, HCTZ, vitamin D, exam is normal. Uh, HCV viral load is 6.2 log. Albumin is 3.6. Total bile is 1.2. Creatinine is 1.1. Uh, I'm already a, a little concerned about those numbers based on uh, Dr. Sherman's talk. And surely enough, her uh, elastography is 15.6, FIB4 is 4.14, all those in, in the cirrhotic range. Uh, she, she might have uh, compensated cirrhosis, but I, 
perhaps some degree of photohypertension based on the platelet count uh, and some, some uh, platelet sequestration. All right, so what is the next step? Would you uh, test for resistance? Would you use uh, soft Velvox for 12 weeks? Would you use soft Velvox plus ribavirin for 12 weeks? Would you use GP for 16 weeks? Or soft Declatus V ribavirin for 24 weeks? So, the, so the, the key thing here is we have genotype 3 cirrhosis, right? What would you do in this case? So most of you are uh, testing for resistance, and, and, and it's, it's tricky here. So now you have a soft Velvox as, as an option to use. You have next generation protease inhibitor here, and a uh, maybe a mid-range resistance-wise an S5A inhibitor here. This is a triplet, but again, you're dealing with genotype 3 and it's cirrhosis. So I'm kind of in between, do we need a resistance test at baseline versus not? So let, let's see what we have. So the recommendation for DAA experienced exposed to an S5 inhibitor genotype 3 with or without cirrhosis is to go ahead and do um, uh, soft Velvox for 12 weeks and add ribavirin based on cirrhosis. So it's right in between. So you're going to change your decision based on uh, liver disease staging and cirrhosis, but you can see that uh, aside of that, a resistance test is not really necessary for, for the triplet. So if that patient was happened not to be cirrhotic, you really wouldn't need a resistance test in, in that case. All right. So. Uh, and what if what would be the next step before actually choosing the Hep C treatment? Uh, in terms of the, did I miss one? Uh, I guess um, the question is what to do um, uh, with the, the the management of the uh, HIV regimen. So no change is needed before you ch you choose the Hep C regimen. No change is needed or, or switch or um, ART to something else. So now you know you're dependent on soft Velvox and uh, the HIV regimen was an integrase inhibitor that had uh, a boosting with Kobe and uh, tenofovir in it. So 14 of you uh, uh, try, try the gas, and uh, it's pretty much spread out. So half of you think you should change, half of you. And, and it's uh, not, not a straightforward question. That would be definitely a, a lookup question for me as well. But, but here's what happens. Um, uh, if you have people exposed to soft Velvox, uh, and, and you ha you're just having a uh, pharmacokinetic study with healthy volunteers. So we don't really have clinical studies from patients really in need of these medicines. Uh, um, 
exposed to, to both regimens. And, and you have uh, exposures to PI-based regimens, uh, integrase inhibitors that are boosted with cobicistat, as well as uh, non-nukes that might have interactions similarly to efavirins and, and um, etravirin. And, and perhaps the most uh, drug interaction-free option that has just an integrase inhibitor, but is still using uh, tenofovir. And of course, um, uh, they would not use efavirenz or etravirin-based regimens because all those, both of those, uh, decreases levels of velpatasvir, so they were contraindicated to be used together. You can see that um, uh, actually projects well in the back, but you can see that the, from the baseline concentrations here at 100% um, for tenofovir and the creatinine, so, so there, there are safe elevations uh, a, a little over the, the therapeutic range that, that is ideal, but is still in a safe range, uh, and some elevations of creatinine that might be just uh, uh, transient. So it would probably um, uh, be on the, on the safe side to use soft Velvox with uh, this regimen, that was the, 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 the regimen on the question stem. Um, and similarly here for the, uh, for the creatinine levels, just a decrease in the excretion of creatinine, but uh, not, not to the point of, of making a, uh, a contraindication. So, and it translates just to the, uh, uh, to a yellow box. So if, you, if you're mixing voxilaprovir as the HCV protease inhibitor and cobicistat, uh, it's not a formal contraindication. You might want to monitor creatinine more often and incentivize uh, reasonable hydration, but you, you, you should be able to use that, that regimen if you're dealing with a very difficult to treat genotype 3 person that uh, might have cirrhosis. So in conclusion, most important factor in deciding retreatment is what type of DAA failure you're dealing with. It involves PIs, it involves NS5A inhibitors or not. The resistant-associated substitutions are not futile, and they may impact your treatment decisions. And ribavirin-free regimens are definitely available uh, for many retreatment considerations. You don't have to go to the big gun decisions we used to have before in treating people for six months and add ribavirin now that we have good salvage options. Any questions? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And get your attention as it's going on, but don't feel bad if you weren't getting answers right because hardly anybody will. Just go to the website and it'll tell you. You go in this. You know the. Pardon me. Yeah, the Hep C guidelines. So it's www.hcvguidelines.org. www.hcvguidelines.org. It's uh, done by double. Uh, WASLD, the Liver Society, and the IDSA together. Um, it's updated. 
whenever it needs to be. It's an online reference that is just fabulous, um, very easy to use and, and manage. So um, I don't know any way to give this talk and have people walk away and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what to do for this, that, and the other. You, no way you'll remember it. And it fortunately doesn't happen all that often. So that's good. <laughs>